Today's reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, and then uh, verses 22 through 24. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, and uh, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, near, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, Juda to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Somehow made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter stood with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, and as yourselves, you, and you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan for, and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked man, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, good morning, church. Um, uh, Nikki, well done with the names. It's a good job. Hey, hand clap for that. That's not, uh, not easy. My name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City Church. Really uh, glad that you're here. Just uh, good morning and what a just a, a fantastic morning to be here and to be together and uh, to be together looking to Jesus and experiencing the grace of God and the community of one another. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, this morning is actually a, a bit of a unique uh, morning in the life of the church around the world uh, and in the life of the church here, here at Christ City. Today um, is the day in the Christian calendar um, that's recognized as the birthday of the church. It's, it's the day when the church around the world recognizes a unique act in, the, in our history of faith, a, a moment in history that we just read about in Acts 2, and the moment when the church was born. Um, we're also, it's also unique for, for us um, individually because we're just a week removed from when what is now called Christ City Church was actually born. Um, our origin as a church actually um, began on June 2nd, uh, 2013, when we started out as the Eastside Parish of another church in town called the District Church. Um, we were initially a satellite location of TDC, and over the years we grew numerically and in maturity, and in August of 2018, 17, we became an independent church that we now call Christ City Church. And so we actually, um, we have these two dates of, of June, uh, and then we have this other date in August, and we're like, well, which, which one do we celebrate? And so what we have done uh, historically, and 
what I mean by historically is what we did last year, which now is what we will do for, for now on, is we split the difference. And so we actually celebrate our birthday uh, in July, and so we'll, we'll celebrate our birthday as Christ City Church um, next month at our community, at our community lunch. And so, yeah, I, so today, uh, by the way, uh, taco, taco Sunday, uh, <laughs> David Hood made a mole sauce, and I want to be in the front of the lines because <laughs> there's a lot of y'all, and I don't want to miss that. Um, so our church is founding, actually, it, uh, it, it, it circles uh, the Pentecost Sunday. It's always close to when Pentecost falls. So this is a, it's a unique it's a unique day for us in the life of the, of the global church, and it's also unique for us uh, here at Christ City. It's really quite a special Sunday for us. Um, Pentecost, uh, as, a, as, a, as a holiday, uh, was also called the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot in Hebrew. And, and it was and is a, a Jewish holiday celebrating the covenant that God established with Moses on Mount Sinai. It was celebrated on the 50th day after the Jewish holiday of Passover. And was one of Israel's three pilgrimage feasts, uh, which required Jews to travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate and worship. And so in the book of Acts, this is why there's so many people that are gathered in Jerusalem uh, in chapter 2. And the story that's found in Acts 2 and what's described there is when the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter and he preached to those that were gathered in Jerusalem for, uh, for Pentecost. Peter preached uh, the gospel and many uh, thousands, the Bible says, they came to faith, they were baptized and the church was born. A, a simple yet miraculous act in a capital city. The good news of Jesus was proclaimed, it was displayed, the Spirit moved in mighty ways and two things happened. One, the people came to faith in Jesus and two, a community of faith, a church was birthed as a result. Because when the gospel is planted in a place, a church grows. When the message of Jesus is proclaimed in a geography, a church springs up from that place. And so on this day, when the church around the world remembers what took place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it's right for us to also remember our own beginnings as a church and also our own beginnings in a place. Today we are beginning a new series where we're going to explore our understanding of the places where God has rooted us. And we're going to explore over the next four weeks our theology of place, our theology of, 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 of geography, as it were. And what I want us to understand and what I want us to respond to is God's heart for and his passion for and his purposes for places. Uh, the built environment and cities, but also the natural environment and creation and the, as well as the time in which we live. And over the coming weeks, we're going to consider what it means for us to live faithfully in this neighborhood and in this city and in this world in this time. We'll explore the scripture's teachings on the beauty of the world and the brokenness of the physical world. We'll touch on topics that impact our city, things like gentrification, the built environment, as well as creation care and God's intention for humanity to tend to the world, the natural world, as well as the built one. And Pentecost Sunday, it may seem like a weird spot for us to begin this series, but what I want to do is to begin this series actually with a message that, um, that I've preached before. Um, it's one of the first sermons that, um, that I preached at Christ City Church, um, right when we were at the beginning as a church. It's one of the first sermons, um, and, and it's a message that's centered on our name, Christ City Church. And it anchored us in our Pentecost moment as a new church. And it roots us in our mission in a place. 
where we hit on themes that will be engaging more deeply in the weeks ahead. Um, these comments that I made, it was our second Sunday as Christ City Church. And this is what I said then, and this is what I want to say now. Place matters. This is a screenshot, actually, from our website. Place matters because Jesus took on flesh and blood. He lived in a neighborhood and identified with a people. And so we also root ourselves in neighborhoods and identify with people. Our place is Washington, D.C. And while many come to the city to consume it and to use it, we want to be among those who love it. Place matters. Uh, place matters for a number of reasons as we look through the larger scope of Scripture, but place matters to us because place matters to God. It mattered in the beginning. In the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of God's created efforts, He took time to identify geography, the geography of His creativity and His creating. In the beginning of our faith's book in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, uh, it would say this, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there's gold, in case you wanted to know where there was gold. Small details of the scripture, I just love them. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. In, in the beginning, as Moses, the author of Genesis, as he describes in our origin story, he, he goes through pains to identify the geography of the beginning. And this isn't simply like an exercise in detail keeping, like, hey, in case you wanted to know, but rather he's beginning a theological understanding that says place matters. And that, frankly speaking, matter, stuff matters. And at the conclusion of all of this, at the conclusion of this creation story, God repeatedly says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And in this, we get our first glimpse into the thrusts of God's instruction that created things, created places, and created spaces that they matter to Him, and that their intended work is to reflect His goodness. Place doesn't just matter in the beginning, though. It doesn't just matter here in Genesis 2. It also matters again at the end. We see this in Revelation at the end of the story in the concluding book of the Bible. God again displays his penchant for identifying geographies. Chapter 21, verse 15 of Revelation, the angel who walked with me had a measuring rod of gold. Perhaps he took it from the banks of one of the rivers in Genesis 2, but he had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and walls. The city was laid out like a square. Many cities today are laid out in this way. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it was high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. didn't want to measure it in angel measurements. We don't understand those measurements, so he measured it for us so we'd know how high it is, I guess. Verse 18, the wall was made of jasper. Now he's going to tell us what it's made out of, what the construction materials are. And the city was 
of pure gold as pure as glass. Verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now, while this passage and the entire book of Revelation are apocalyptic and prophetic and they're filled with imagery, it is also tied to a larger theology that says the geography of built spaces matter. It says that beauty matters. It didn't just say, let's just throw whatever kind of thing together and then however it looks is fine. We're just all about function, not about form or image or beauty or anything that would stir up awe to God. Beauty matters, place matters, and it matters enough to give thought to the way that it looks and behaves and what what that communicates to those that live in that geography. In passages just prior to this one, John, the author of Revelation, he would describe a new city. He would uh, describe the new urban home for humanity, and and the way that he describes it's in ways more common to urban planners and architects than to preachers and theologians, frankly. And God is communicating that this notion, again, that place matters, not just in the beginning and not just simply at the end uh, as a description of the beauty of heaven, but also at the climax of the story in the scriptures with Jesus. And in Jesus, God continues to put forward the theological importance of place. Jesus is, is our primary lens for understanding God and God's work in the world and for our understanding of scriptures. And this is why Jesus' incarnation becomes our clearest display of God's care for place. In John's Gospel, we have a poetic articulation of Jesus' incarnation. Chapter 1 and verse 9, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, Jesus. And though the world was made through him, God in Christ also created the world. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and of truth. The Word, the second person of the Trinity, God Himself became flesh and then went a step further. He became flesh and made His dwelling, His home. He set up His life. He lived in our neighborhood, as Pastor Eugene Peterson would put it. He lived among us in a place, in a geography, in a land, and in a city. And the turn for those following Jesus is to ask, how are we uh, then to behave as his disciples in the pattern of this rabbi, the one that we follow? How, how are we to follow him in places? Because the truth is, is that uh, whether it's John's description of Jesus uh, moving into our neighborhood and dwelling among us, or Matthew's and Luke's description of Jesus' genealogies, which in and of themselves make the same point that God lived in a place and with a people, these aren't random details that the Bible is articulating for us. Rather, this is an act of theological subversion to the belief that the physical doesn't matter, that the spiritual is the only thing that matters. And what the gospel writers are showing in brilliant is that place matters. And so disconnection from a place, it isn't appropriate for a daughter or a son of God. 
We don't live outside of places. Our discipleship isn't disconnected from where we live. And so what's the, what's the purpose of all of this, though? Just this running through of these passages. Why does this matter, and to what aim is all of this fuss? In each and every case, Genesis, Revelation, Jesus, the point of highlighting the importance of geography is to point to the beauty and the glory of God. In each turn, God is saying to us that there is an environment to God's reconciling work with humanity. Humanity's healing and deliverance, it actually has an address. And that address is your address. Because God in Genesis states that the created world is good and the place of shalom, he's signaling that your world can be a place of shalom. The reason for Christ's incarnation is to be the way maker for the restoration of all that was lost in the garden, in a place that was once good but has now become something damaged. Jesus' identity with a people and a place as a servant with an oppressed people, with the dispossessed, the reason for it all, the manger, parents, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jewish background, Roman occupation, was so that God, his name and his glory might be established among us in a place. John 1 again, verse 16, just a few verses down. Out of his, out of Christ's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. This is not in a disembodied way, not in a virtual or ethereal way, but in a real tangible place in a geography that Jesus occupied. In Revelation, the, the aim of the description of that place, the final place, is so that we can be reminded that there is a day ahead when we see God clearest and that that day ahead and that place ahead has a geography. All things made new, healed, and restored. And in that place, in that address, if you will, Revelation 22.5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light. So what does this have to do with you and with me and, and where we live? If place matters... And we have to ask, well, what do we make of our place? What do you make of your place? And how does it matter and, and what is it for? Stated differently, this, this understanding of a theology of place if, it begins to answer the question of why do you live where you live? And there's a couple of broad statements that, uh, just to make here. First is that God has purpose for where you live. God has a, has a purpose for you. Because of Genesis 2 and Revelation 24, we actually have a sense of what that purpose is, that it uh, points uh, others and yourself towards his story in the world. You live where you live so that you might participate in God's work of salvation in the world, of, of being a signpost towards the coming day when all things are made new and good and right. This was Paul's point in the passage that we read in Acts 17. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. And the reason why any of us live where we live is so that we might find God and point others towards life that's found in him. And what that means is that your house, your apartment, your condo, your front porch, your backyard, it actually has uh, mission and history implications. Your neighbors, 
your new ones and your old ones, they have purpose in your life and in God's work in the world. Your ANC has kingdom purposes. Your address has kingdom purposes. Your associations in the neighborhood, they have kingdom purposes. The troubling question is, what are you doing with that purpose? Are you neglecting it? Are you thanking God for it? Are you engaging with it? Are you stewarding it? God has purpose for where you live and why you live there. Jesus has, he has something to say about where you live. Not only does God have purpose for where you live, but the second thing to say is that Christ has something to say about, about where you live and why you live there. One of the things that we as a community of Christ followers can always ask one another is how our decisions are being shaped by our faith. We actually get to ask that of one another. How, how are your decisions informed by your faith, whether it be your decisions about your time or your money or relation to any decision? And as a community of faith, those following in the ways of Jesus, this central question that we get to ask one another of, of how our faith is informing us, it, it relates to where we live as well. How is your faith informing where you are living and how you're living in that geography? Where you're living and how you're living there. Are you living where you live as an expression of Christ's work and mission in your life? Or are you living in a place because it fit a budget and a preference that you might have. And while those aren't bad in and of themselves, the, they have to come under the sway of Christ's word and Christ's work in our lives. And so are you living where you live as a matter of kingdom mission? Are you living in that address in a manner in keeping with the shalom setting of God's kingdom? Because of Christ's incarnation, because of Jesus' decisions, well, they ought to have some effect on our own decision-making as it relates to place. Jesus gets to ask us all, how is my story intersecting where you live and how you live there? By the way, this is not a time limit or a time requirement question. This isn't a question for those that say, well, I'm going to live here for a long time. Those that are going to live in some place for a short time, you don't get to opt out of that. Jesus still gets to ask you. Well, if you're new to the city, maybe you're interning someplace, well, guess what? This question's for you. Are you living in your intern housing in a way that is contributing to and intersecting with the redemptive work of God in this city? If you're old in the city, you've only ever known Washington, D.C., you, you, you aren't grandfathered in either. The question is for you as well. The question takes on added nuance here, namely because of history and the role of choice and agency given the racial history and the economics of Washington. Nevertheless, the question remains. Your address matters to God. It has kingdom purposes. And Jesus is still beckoning you, inviting you to leverage your history in a place to point people towards God's work of redemption. You don't have to live in a place for a certain number of years before the question gets to be your question. If you're here, for however long you're here, this word and this invitation and this requirement of faithfulness is for you. Let me take one last turn for our city, Washington, D.C. The truth is, is that our city, that it's like other cities, both contemporary and ancient, and yet our city, there is a difference about it. And at the risk of making obvious statements, which I don't mind taking risks, our city is a capital city. 
I know, right? That's right. I, I learned some stuff. It's the capital of the nation, and it stands in a unique place in world history, in world politics, in world economics, in the world state in general. In this way, D.C., it's, it's just different from Phoenix or Houston or San Francisco or Atlanta or any of the other cities that we may name. The thing is, when things happen nationally or internationally, we feel them here in our city, even if they take place farther away, because our city is made up of those cities as well. And in that way, we're a bit different, even from Nairobi or Kabul or Caracas. When Lisa and I were preparing to move to D.C. to pastor here, we had this sense that in some way pastoring in D.C. was to pastor a nation because of the kind of city that D.C. is. We had a sense that pastoring in this city would also give us audience globally. And that thought was often overwhelming for me, frankly, because the thing is, I'm not one to pursue national or global. As many of you guys know, I grew up in a housing project in East Dallas in a close-quartered neighborhood. I like my walls close, and I like my friends closer. But place matters. And God has placed me and all of us in this beautiful and remarkable city so that we might find the Lord because he's not far from us and point others towards Christ to see the kingdom of God in each life and every sphere of life that is animated in this remarkable city. So whether you're an economist at the World Bank or a policy director for some ranking senator, a doctor in the greater D.C. area, a high school government teacher, a student, <laughs> or a student taking government, <laughs> or maybe you're out of work looking for a job, D.C. is our city, and so we're called here. This place matters. And you're living here, it has purpose. And you're living here has global and cosmic mission that points to the goodness of God. And you're living here with Christ. You point to the day when he, in his time and his power, will make all things new in this city. And so just to get super practical, the majority of us in this room, though not all of us, they, we live within a, within a mile of minor elementary right here. Nearly all of us in this room, we worship here. Some of y'all may have just been like, oh, I saw people just follow the crowd. Welcome, glad you're here. Stick around, Taco Sunday. <laughs> and, I, and I don't have time to go into all of the history uh, of this city, or even of, of Martilla Minor, the woman who the school is named after. I don't have time to tell you about Swamp Poodle, the, the Irish shanty town that was displaced the ongoing history of displacement that is this city's history. It was displaced when Union Station was built. I don't have time to tell you about the segregated racial history of the Atlas Theater on 8th Street. don't have time to uh, tell you uh, who, the once, who once Trinidad, the Trinidad neighborhood resident Rafael Edmund is, nor his influence on the city in the 80s. Uh, although some saints in the room, Mr. Keith Moore and Antonio Love can certainly give you a give you a master's level education about this city. Saints that have been here for a long time. They've been faithful to this city. And I will say this, if you haven't taken an 8th Street tour with Kate Denson, you really need to, as an act of spiritual discipline. She'll fill you in on the beauty and the tragedy. Over the course of the coming weeks, we will unpack these stories and, and, and how um, God's kingdom has been inbreaking continually in this city. And also how the enemy has been 
has been disturbing and frustrating what God wants to do in this city. But what I will say, and, and, and maybe just to close with this, is that you are called to bear witness to God's kingdom and Christ's gospel in this place. And if you're here from someplace else, then your call is to this city. Because all of us, as we call this place home, that this is your invitation, this is your obligation as citizens of the kingdom of God and of Washington, D.C., or wherever it is you're from, shout outs, Hyattsville, Northern Virginia, I got you too, I see you, I see you there. Be rooted in that place. Be rooted in that place. Because place matters to God, and the people who call those places home matter to God. And my prayer is that we will continue stewarding our residents in this place for the sake of God's kingdom. As we walk through this, as we consider our own living and our own faithfulness to the places in which God has rooted us, for however long he's rooted us here, that we would be people who see this place mattering because it's the place where we see God at work. We say yes to God's invitation to point others towards his work and his invitation in the world. We pray for us. Jesus. Jesus, the, the, the one who took on flesh and blood, who moved into our neighborhood, Jesus. The one who calls us to live well in this place, The one who, who calls us and our living to, to point ourselves and others towards the day when all things are made new. The one who calls us to name life and death in the city as an act of, of stewardship, as an act of, of spiritual resistance, as an act of, of celebration and a place. Jesus, we call to you. We pray to you. We ask you to, to speak to us, to bring about comfort to bring about conviction in our lives. Spirit, fate didn't bring us to this place. Circumstances didn't bring us to this place. God, we, we may have ended, ended up in whatever is our geographies, our addresses, by good fortune or bad fortune, but God, you still control our fortunes. Lord, even if we're in hard places, there's still, there's, still, there's still mission work for us to do. There's still cosmic purpose for us to do as we look for you and your activity in our neighborhoods. And that we ourselves and our living are signposts to the day when God renews every neighborhood, every city block, every city as we ache for and long for the coming of the new Jerusalem. Spirit, don't let us move through our neighborhoods numb or blind. Don't let us move through our neighborhoods neglectful or disconnected. Our followership of Jesus is rooted in a place and that's not happenstance. Spirit, forgive us for not caring for our geographies in the ways that you have us. 
Spirit, by your gentle and strong hand, would you lead us into waters more faithful, caring for our neighbors and our neighborhoods, celebrating things that need to be celebrated, working to dismantle things that need to be dismantled, that grind people down and don't reflect your kingdom. Spirit, bring us to a place of seeing that place matters and that you've placed us in a place. For all these things. In the name of the one who was incarnated, the one who was from a place called Nazareth, the one who traveled to other places called Capernaum and Galilee and Bethlehem and Judea, places that are named, not nameless. <clears throat> we pray to the one who led the authoring of books that center on places, places called Corinth and Ephesus, places called Philippi. Holy God, you care about places. Stir in our heart a deepening and a passion for the places we call home. For all these things in Christ's name. Amen.